Oh, good morning. Can we just give the Lord a hand for warm weather? Can you just do that? I, I have to be honest. I got in the flesh the other day. I said, Lord, if I want Minnesota weather, I'll move to Minnesota. I'm, I'm in Georgia. I want to be in the buckle of the Bible belt. And so I'm thankful. It's a beautiful day. It's warm outside. I want to welcome those who are watching online, those are, who will be watching at our other campus, those who will be watching by TV. We're really glad that you joined us today. I want you to imagine. I want you to go back 2,000 years. You are the Son of God. Now, you've been given the most important assignment that anyone has ever been given, and only you can fulfill that assignment. As a matter of fact, think about it now, the fate of the world rests on your shoulders. If there's any hope that this world can be finally, totally, truly related to the creator of this universe, it's all on you. Your ministry is literally one of life and death. And furthermore, you got three years to pull that off. What are you going to do? Where are you going to spend most of your time? Well, what, what are you going to prioritize? Are you immediately going to go to the synagogue and start teaching and revealing that you are indeed the king of a coming kingdom, that you're the Messiah that everybody's been waiting on for thousands of years? Or maybe if you lived in the 21st century, you would hire a PR firm and you'd have maybe this miracle-working festival in the center of Jerusalem, and, and, and you'll prove to everybody that you are Superman that's come into a world full of Clark Kents, and you're going to do all these unbelievable miracles that nobody else could ever can even conceive of doing, and everybody will look at you and go, you must be the Son of God? Well, Jesus, this one thing about Jesus I love so much, Jesus never, ever fails to surprise us or shock us. If you read about Jesus very long, you know what you'll find? The things that you think Jesus would do, he doesn't do. And the very things that you think Jesus would do, he doesn't. And he doesn't, the things you think he wouldn't do, he, he does. So what does he do? How's he going to start his ministry? How's he going to pull this off? Are you ready for this? He begins by going down to a muddy river and being baptized. Then after that, he still doesn't kick everything off. He goes out into the desert, spends 40 days without any food or any water, doing battle with the devil. You think, okay, now he's ready. Now we've got the big bang coming, and what does he do next? He chooses 12 men. Not, order, not, not, not PhDs, not scholars, not men of means, not men by and large that are wealthy, just run-of-the-mill, ordinary dime of the dozen, minimum wage men. He doesn't even spend after that. He doesn't spend the majority of those three years working miracles. He doesn't spend the majority of those years healing the sick. He doesn't even spend the majority of those years teaching truth. He spends the vast majority of those three years in a small group of 12 men. Now, why did Jesus do that? Well, he knew that his work would be exhausting. He knew that he would minister to people like nobody else had ever ministered to people. He knew that he would be expending a vast reservoir of spiritual energy that nobody else even had. And he knew that in order to pull this off, he would literally have to be refueled on a daily basis because you never get a break from being the son of God. 
You never get to take a, take a vacation from heal, healing sick people and working miracles and teaching truth. And that's why we're in a series that we're calling Refuel. Because we have something in common with Jesus, and that is we never get a break from the demands of life. If you're a mom or a dad, you don't get a break from being a parent. If you're, if you're the provider for your household, you don't get a break from making a living. If, if you're a doctor, you don't get a break from seeing patients. If you're a teacher, you really don't get a break from teaching students. We have these demands of life on us all the time, and we need to be refueled just like Jesus did. And one of the ways that Jesus would recharge his spiritual batteries and, and it was being in that small group of disciples because Jesus wanted to teach something, and I want to teach this to you. Jesus did not lead the Christian life alone. And he did not teach his disciples that they could live the Christian life alone. As a matter of fact, the reason why we're here today goes all the way back to Jesus having the foresight to choose to spend the vast majority of his time in a small group. I want to challenge your thinking today. The reason there's even a church today is because of a small group. You say, I, I don't quite understand. All right, let me ask you a question. How do you think Christianity has survived for 2,000 years? How do you think Christianity is still here? Why didn't the movement stop with Jesus and those 12 disciples? As a matter of fact, how did just 11 disciples, because you remember one kind of checked out, how did 11 disciples morph into a movement that today claims one out of every three people walking on this planet? 2.2 billion people claim to be followers of Jesus. How in the world did that ever happen? How did he pull that off? Well, I want us to go back 2,000 years, and I want to show you the secret of how it happened. If you brought a copy of God's Word, or you're kind of more technologically minded and want to look on a phone or a pad or whatever, I want you to turn to the book of Acts chapter 2. Now, it's real easy to find. The, the Bible's divided into two halves, Old and New Testament. Go to the New Testament. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four Gospels. The very next book is the book of Acts. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 2. Now, let me tell you kind of what's going on. The early church had exploded in growth. It had gone from Jesus and 11 disciples to a nucleus of 120 disciples. And then over just a few short weeks, it had grown, are you ready to this, to over 20,000 people. And this was not a homogeneous crowd. It was not everybody looked alike and everybody acted alike. There were at least 15 different nationalities. You had Jews and Gentiles. You had men and women, you had rich and poor, you had slave and free, and they were all totally different. Now, it's one thing to come together. Anybody can come together, but it's another thing to stay together. Now, that's one thing to come together. It's another thing to stay together, but it's even another thing to grow together. And the early church did not just come together. They didn't just stay together. They grew together. How in the world did they pull that off? You tell me, how do you go from 11 to 120 to 20,000 in just a few short weeks? Look at Acts chapter two, verse 46. Here's the secret. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. I want you to say this word with me. Say it right now, together. They began to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their, what's that word? in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. You said two words, and I want you to say them. Together, homes. 
together homes, together homes. They were together and they were together in homes. Here's the way I like to put it. They were carpooling Christianity. How many of you carpool from time to time? Or some of you do. You know what I'm talking about, right? It's when you say, look, it's much better if we go in a group than if we go alone. That's really what they were doing. They were carpooling Christianity. I mean, long before the early church ever had buildings and budgets and baptistries, here's what the early church had. They had kitchens. They had dinner tables. And they had living rooms. I mean, think about it. Tens of thousands of people have become followers of Jesus. And remember, there were no church buildings like we're meeting in right now. As a matter of fact, you may not know this. The first church building we know about that was ever built wasn't built until late in the third century. So for over 200 years, there were no church buildings at all. No record of it. So for 200 years, this early church is exploding from 20,000 to 50,000 to 100,000 to several hundred thousand, where did they meet? How did they come together? How did they get together? How did they stay together? How did they grow together? You know how? Small groups. That's how they did it. They met in small groups. And the reason why the early church didn't just survive but thrive is because they built community and they established relationships in small groups. Groups. They understood and learned their lesson well from Jesus. You don't come to the Christian faith alone, and you don't live the Christian faith alone. Let me just say, I'm gonna be, can I just be real honest? I don't care how spiritually mature you think you are. I don't care how spiritually strong you think you are. You cannot live the Christian life effectively by yourself. You were never meant to do it. It wasn't built that way from the very beginning. We were meant to do it together. There are certain destinations that we will never reach as believers if we don't go together. There are certain ministries and activities we cannot perform if we do not do them together. What I wanna show you in the early church are three things that they did together that you and I need to do, do together and we need to do them together in small groups. You ready? Number one, we are to seek God's glory together. We're to seek God's glory together. Now we're in verse 42. They devoted themselves, listen to that word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, I want you to just, let me just stop right here. They didn't get together when it was convenient. They didn't get together in a small group when they thought, well, we got nothing else to do. They didn't get together in a small group when they thought, well, I just got nowhere else to go. It says they devoted themselves. In, in, in other words, this was on the top of their to-do list. This was a priority for them. This is one of the first things they put on their calendar every single week. As a matter of fact, the early Christians couldn't even conceive of not being in a small group. It was totally foreign to them. It just never even occurred to them, we ought to just kind of go out here and do all this by ourselves. It never entered their minds. Now, here's what's important. When they did get together in a small group, they didn't just meet it, eat it, and beat it. When they got together, they studied the Bible together. They took meals together. They talked to the Lord together. They were what we call doing life together. Now, this is so important. I don't want you to miss this. You ready? The early Christians were not just committed to Christ. They were committed to each other. 
They were committed to grow individually, but they were also committed to grow corporately. They didn't just say, hey, I get mine, you get yours, everybody, it's every man for himself. They said, no, you know what? I want to grow in the Lord, but I want you to grow in the Lord. And I want you to grow in the Lord, and I want you to help me grow in the Lord, and I want us to grow in the Lord together. They were not just committed to a personal relationship with God. They were committed to spiritual fellowship with each other. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want to tell you, you need real fellowship. And let me just be honest. You do not, you will not, you cannot get that kind of fellowship in this room one hour a week. Can't happen. Won't happen. And you need it to happen. It will not work in a worship center or a huge gathering. Listen, everybody needs somebody. Don't take my word for it. I don't even know, I don't even have to have the Bible to know that. You know how I know everybody needs somebody? Batman. He needs Robin. Ernie. He needs Bert. Listen, even Han Solo didn't go solo. He needs Chewbacca. I mean, everybody needs somebody. And the reason why, listen, the reason why the early church got big and grew bigger is because it got small and it grew smaller. Did you hear that? The reason why the early church got big and got bigger was because it got small and it stayed smaller through small groups. Now, I want to tell you something. I want two things for our church, and I want them to happen at the same time. I want them for every campus we ever begin. I want two things for our church. I want our church to grow bigger, and I want our church to stay smaller. I'm going to say that again. I want our church to grow bigger. You say, well, you're just in the numbers game. No, I'm in the people game. And people are not numbers, but numbers can be people. So yeah, I want to go bigger, but I also want us to stay smaller. Yeah, I want our church to have more people to preach to and more people to disciple and more people to serve and more people to love. But I also want that to happen in a small environment where people can really connect. As someone as well put it, I want to move people out of rows and into circles. And I love that. I want to move people out of rows and into circles. Let me tell you what. Do you know what you get in a small group? If you're not in a small group, let me tell you what you get. Every now and then as, as I'm out preaching and speaking, sometimes I'll go to like a, a small town, you know, to, to preach. I don't just preach in big cities. I'll go to a small town. And when I go to a small town, inevitably the, the pastor or the host will say, uh, they'll say, hey, James, where, where would you like to eat? You know what I, I will tell them? I always use this phrase. I'll say, where is your mom and pop restaurant? You know why I want to eat at a mom and pop restaurant? Because I know three things are true about the mom and pop restaurant. Number one, you're going to find home cooking. Number two, you're going to find friendly service. And number three, that's where all the local people like to go. Now listen carefully. When you get into a small group, you get mom and pop Christianity. You get home cooking. You get a friendly environment. You get a place where the locals like to go. You get to go deeper and learn more about God. You get to grow closer and learn more about it, each other. You get to share hurt and heartaches. You get to love people and get people to love you. And you get to learn about God together. Because let me tell you something. If I could take the time and I could go to every individual in this room, let me talk to every one of you in this room long enough. You may have walked in here and you're dressed sharp and you know people look at you and they say, boy, that guy's got it together. She's got it together. Man, they're hitting on all eight cylinders. You let me talk to every one of you right now listening to me. Everybody's had heartache and everybody's got problems. Everybody has heartache 
and everybody's got problems. Let me tell you something. If you're sitting there and you're saying, well, I don't have any problems, you are your biggest problem. <laughs> we all got problems. I got problems. You got problems. We all have problems. And listen, if you're going to sit there right now, some of you are doing this right now, and you can sit, you're sitting there, and here's what you're saying. Say whatever you want to say. I am not getting in a small group. I don't need a small group. If you don't think you need to be in a small group of other disciples, I just want you to remember one thing. You are no better than Jesus. And Jesus felt like he needed to be in a small group. Jesus felt like he needed a group to minister to and he needed a group to minister to him. As a matter of fact, can I just think about this? Has it ever occurred to you that before this world was ever created, there was a small group? It starts with a T, what is it? Yeah, the Trinity. Isn't it amazing that even God said, I don't exist by myself. I've got a small group, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit has always existed and will always exist in a small group. Yes, he's one person, but he's in three beings. Now you say, do you understand that? Nope, just believe it. Don't understand it, just believe it. I know that's what God says, but my point is, we are to seek God's glory together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to breaking the bread and to prayers, all right? Number two, we are to show God's goodness together. We're to share God's grace together, but we are to show God's goodness, to seek God's glory together, but we are to show God's goodness together. Now, what you're about to read, I'm gonna show you now in this passage, what you're about to read that was happening in these small groups really is the secret sauce that tells us why the early church had such unbelievable success and such exponential growth from its very beginning. Now watch this. I never cease to, it blows my mind every time I read this. All the believers, say that with me, we're together, right? And they had everything in common. That doesn't mean that they had common interest. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now, now notice, they were together. They didn't just come together. <clears throat> they didn't just stay together. They didn't just stick together. They didn't just talk together. They were ministering together. They literally were physically and emotionally and spiritually making, making it through life together. It is one of the most amazing pictures of the early church and early Christianity you will find everywhere. Because here were people, some had a lot, some had a little, and there were people who had some things and there were people that basically had nothing. And everybody was saying in these small groups, what's mine is yours. If you need it, you take it. What's mine is yours. If you need it, you take it. You need anything, you can have it. Let me just time out right here. Let me just stop. This was not communism. Nobody was forcing anybody to do anything, all right? It wasn't socialism. It wasn't Robin Hood robbing the, you know, robbing the rich to pay the poor. It wasn't even capitalism. They were not selling each other what was needed at a Christian discount. They just realized this is who we are. This is what we have. The Jesus that lives in me and the Jesus that lives in you wants to minister to each other. And therefore, because of the goodness of God, I want to show goodness to you. Because God has been good to me, I want to be good to you. Now, you know how they were able to do that so freely? I mean, listen, it's just very hard. You have to admit this. To say to anybody, hey, what's mine is yours. You need it, you got it. You need it, you can have it. How in the world could they get to that point and do that? Here's how. 
Because even though it does take time to be in a small group, I admit that, when you get into a small group, here's what happens. You start building trust when you get into a small group. You get to know each other when you get into a small group. The better you get to know each other, the more you love each other. And the more you love each other, the more you're willing to give to each other. And so what you're looking at at this picture here is you're looking at fellowship and friendship and relationship on steroids. This is the kind of fellowship. This is the kind of friendship that the early church had. And I wanna say it again. You will never get that in one hour in this building. Never. It can't happen. It will not happen. You will never get that coming here one hour a week. You will only get that in a small group. Because remember, this Christianity that was not just surviving, it was thriving, was doing it when all the odds were stacked against it. I mean, from the beginning, think about this. How much political influence did the church have? Zero. How about financial power? Very little. There was no organizational hierarchy. There were no buildings. As a matter of fact, a lot of people considered the Christians whack jobs. They thought they were a cult. Because when you became a part of the church, here's what you got for becoming a part of the church. You would be socially ostracized. You would be politically persecuted. You might be physically tortured. You might be personally imprisoned. And yet, even with all of the odds stacked against the church, it just exploded. You could not keep people out of the church. Now, let me ask you, how do you explain that? How in the world did that really happen? Here's how. While Christianity did not have any of the normal strengths or the normal powers that you would think it would to, take a, to fuel a movement and keep it going, the early church had two qualities that I want our church to have. The early church had two qualities that made them like a magnet surrounded by shrapnels of iron. You ready? They were, they were gracious to negative people and they were generous to needy people. They were gracious to negative people and they were generous to needy people. See, when it comes to wealth, they had a little, but they gave a lot. When it came to criticism, they took a lot, but they gave very little. And in those small groups, they showed God's goodness. And here's what happened. You had people out there that were watching these people in the early church, and they couldn't believe it. Nobody's going without food in that place. Nobody's going without clothing in that place. Nobody's missing a meal if, you're, if they're in that group. And when they found out how it was happening, everybody was giving freely, people began to say, I don't know what you've got but I want whatever it is. I've never seen anything like that in my life. That's what you can do when you get together. You can seek God's glory together. You can show God's great goodness together. And then here's the last thing. We are to share God's grace together. We are to share God's grace together. Now, what happened? When these, when, when, when these 20,000 people said, okay, we can't all meet together all the time. We'll never get to know each other this way. We'll never build relationships this way. If all we ever do is come to the temple court and hear Peter preach a one-hour sermon, we're not gonna get anywhere. So we're gonna go to homes. We're gonna break up. We're gonna get into a group. I live on this side of town. I'll be in your group. You live on that side of town. You'll be in that group. But everybody's gonna be in this group. We're gonna start building relationships. We're gonna start ministering to each other. As that began to happen, 
What was the result? This is my favorite part of this whole story. When they were getting into small groups and they were being together and worshiping together and giving together and they were ministering together, here's what happened. Now watch this. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple course. They, they came to a worship service just like you do. They did that. But then they would break up and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, watch this. Where were they having influence with unbelievers? Not in the church, outside the church. Not in the temple courts, outside the temple courts where they were sowing seed, where they were sharing the gospel, where they were telling people about Jesus, where they were loving on unbelievers and caring for unbelievers. It wasn't in a big worship service. It was in small groups. And you know why people were being saved daily? It's because these small groups were not just seeking God's glory together. They weren't just showing God's goodness together. They were sharing God's grace together. When people would come into their group and they'd say, what is it about you? Why are you so different? I can't believe how warm and how loving you are and how giving and how generous you are. They would always say, if there's anything good about us, it's that Jesus lives in us. And they were sharing God's grace together. So what were they doing in their small group? They were worshiping together. They were walking together. And they were witnessing Together. Now, this is important. The early church did not wait until Sunday morning to grow. Did you hear me? The early church did not wait until Sunday morning to grow. They were growing every day of the week. People were being saved every day of the week. Because it says people were being saved daily. How was that happening? Well, David would lead somebody to Christ on Monday. Mike would lead somebody to Christ on Tuesday. Steve would lead somebody to Christ on Wednesday. Mike would lead somebody to Christ on Thursday. I'd lead somebody to Christ on Friday. Richard would lead somebody to Christ on Saturday. Sally would lead somebody to Christ on Sunday. Just out there with their small groups as they went to work, where people lived, where people played, they were out there just sharing their Faith. It wasn't happening as unbelievers were watching the church with a telescope and a big worships gathering. It was happening when those unbelievers were watching unbelievers were watching believers with a microscope in those small groups. And people were being invited into those homes. Hey, come check us out tonight. We're having a small group gathering. We're going to get together. We're going to cook a pot of chili. We're going to sit down and study the word of God together. We have a great time. Just come check it out. And that's what was happening. They'd get into these small groups They'd see real fellowship, and they'd see real friendship, and they'd see real relationship. They'd see what Christianity was all about because believers were leaving their homes to go where they worked, where they shopped, where they played to share God's grace together. Let me just stop. This is an unpaid advertisement. We, I, will make a confession. We have done, I have done a poor job, and I'm ashamed of it. I'm so ashamed. We have done, and I have done a poor job of motivating you and enlisting you 
and training you to share Christ. We're going to devote a whole month in March to doing just that. And it's going to be ongoing. And you just need to hear what I'm about to say. There is simply no reason why those of us who have truly experienced the grace of God through Jesus Christ to keep it to ourselves. That's a good place for an amen. There is no reason, none, zero, zippo. There is no reason why those of us who have experienced the grace of God through Jesus Christ should keep it to ourselves. And so what we're going to do, we're going to train. Let me tell you what we're going to do. This is going to be kind of different. We baptize 10-year-old kids. If a 10-year-old kid can be saved, that 10-year-old kid can tell another 10-year-old kid how to be saved. If a teenager can get saved, he can tell another teenager how to be saved. If you can be saved, you can tell someone else how to be saved. So we're gonna train every generation. We're gonna do this in such a simple, we're gonna put a tool in your hand. It's gonna be so easy. Everybody can do it. You don't have to memorize scripture. You don't have to go through a 12-week course. It's not gonna be like that at all. It's gonna be so simple. It's gonna be so easy. We're gonna teach you how to get into a conversation. We're gonna teach you how to get out of a conversation. We're gonna teach you how to listen, have your radar up so you can know when to begin a conversation. I've gotta fly to Orlando in, in a couple of days to preach. And I've already been praying for the person that God will put on the seat next to me. I do every time I get on an airplane. Lord, give me the opportunity to steer, steer this conversation to a spiritual conversation. We're gonna teach you how to do that. You know why? That's exactly what they did in the early church. Everybody was out there walking together, worshiping together, and witnessing together. Now, let me just say this. Unless you are the first follower of Jesus in the history of the church that can live the Christian life better alone than you can living it with others, and let me just stop right there and say this. If you really believe you can live the Christian life alone better than living it with others, you don't need to be in a small group. You need counseling because you can't. Nobody ever can. Nobody ever will. I am asking many of you who have never gotten in a small group to get into a small group. It's going to make it easy. If you're currently not a part of a small group, when this service is over, both of our campuses, there are going to be small group leaders in our lobbies they're going to be waiting to talk with you. They'll share information about new groups that are going to be beginning uh, in the next few weeks. And, 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 and they want to hear, all they want to know is if you might be interested in either joining a small group or being trained to be a part of a small group leadership. Let me just tell you this. You know what it takes to lead a small group in our church? A house. That's all it takes. You don't have to do anything. We, you don't have to teach. You don't have to, you don't have to do anything. We take care of that. And so interest cards and available group cards are also at our refuel station. We've got a refuel station out there. So when you leave this building, when you leave, when you leave the worship center, go to one of these small group leaders, go to our refuel station, pick up a card, see where a small group might be meeting where you live or where, wherever you might uh, you know, work or wherever it may be. We want to get everybody. Now, look, do I know we're going to get everybody in a small group? No, but I'll tell you this, we're, not, we're never going to quit trying. I, 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 my goal is 100% participation because the truth is there is not a believer anywhere on planet earth and especially that is here that if able does not need to be in a small group. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna challenge you with very rare exceptions, very rare. Yeah, you may be one of those people who say, you know what? I fly out of here on Saturday and I don't get back in until Friday 
And my time is very valuable, okay? We have small groups that meet on campus. We'll help you out. We're gonna do everything we can to help you get started. We've got small groups on campus. We've got them off campus. They meet on Sundays. They meet on different days and nights of the week. We want to help every way we can to get everyone involved in a group because we need to seek God's glory and show God's goodness and share God's grace together. Now, let me just close with this. One of the most popular terms that's used to describe a believer in the New Testament, and as a matter of fact, it's used 99 times to refer to a believer in Jesus, is the word saint. 99 times. That means on average it occurs at least three times in every book of the New Testament, the word saint. Now, here's what I discovered. This is amazing. Every time you see the word saint in the New Testament, you ready? It's always plural. You, you never see the singular word saint one time. You never see the word saint in the New Testament. It is always saints. It's almost like God is saying you can't have just one. In other words, a saint ain't. A saint ain't. Saints always comes in groups, always. Saints always come in groups. When God founded the church, he just assumed there'd be small groups. And he just assumed we would all be in a small group because we really do need each other. We really can't pull this off by ourselves. And let me tell you something, you know what's really, really and I've said this to you before, it's, it's so painful to me. There are some of you out there, a lot of you out there, you're great people. You got so much to offer. You, you've been through some tough times in your life and, 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 and you're wasting that tough time because the reason why God put you in that tough time and brought you through that tough time is so one day you could minister to somebody else that's going through the same tough time that you did, but you don't do that because you don't, you're not in a small group. And there are so many of you, you've got so much to offer other people and there are so many of you that you need what other people have to offer and you'll never get it in here. You'll never find it in here. You'll never see it in here. You'll never know it in here. It can only happen in a small group. So let me just, I'll be, close this up. I read this the other day. I never thought, I never knew this. I read this just the other day. Somebody pointed this out. It was a Catholic priest, as a matter of fact. <clears throat> and I went back and checked it out. He's right. Go back to the life of Jesus in the Gospels. And every time it's recorded that Jesus would get up in the morning, without exception, if you study his daily life, Jesus, without exception, always began his morning by doing three things. It's, it's, this is amazing to me because of the series that we're in. He always did three things. First, he would get alone with his heavenly father. He, he'd have a quiet time. We talked about that two weeks ago and last week. He'd get together, he'd get in the Word, he'd talk to his Heavenly Father. He'd have that quiet time with his Heavenly Father. He, he would have that time alone with God. Second, he would connect with his disciples in community. They'd get together, they'd fellowship together, they would be together, they would talk together. He would teach them together. Then, he would go out and do ministry. So in other words, when, whenever Jesus, every time you saw it's recorded, you, you would see what Jesus would do when he got up in the morning, what he would always do, number one, I'm gonna connect with God, I'm gonna have a connection with God, and then I'm gonna have a communion with God, and then I'm gonna have a connection with my group. I'm gonna commune with God, and I'm gonna connect with a group. 
what blows my mind is those are the same things we shared with you for the last two weeks and what we're sharing with you today. Now, what's amazing is next week, we're going to see the last thing he did, which he always did, which we're to do if we're going to be refueled. So, Jesus leaves heaven, comes to earth, born of a virgin, begins his ministry when he's 30 years of age to do what? Well, he he didn't just come just to die for our sins, though he did. He came back from the dead, but not to lead us into a lone ranger Christianity where you kind of go off and do it by yourself. He came and died for our sins and came back from the dead to lead us to be a part of an eternal group called the family of God and then to get into small groups to show a world that needs to see it. This is what Christianity looks like. This is what Christianity is all about. This is what you're missing when you're not in a group. So to summarize it all up in one sentence, if Jesus, the Son of God, needed to be in a small group, so do we. Let's pray together.